Hello and welcome to the ETPHD Mentoring Podcast, the business podcast that will help you grow your business and yourself within a flourishing and healthful life, whatever that looks like for you. Like, share and subscribe to the pod for the ultimate good karma and reach out to us with any questions that you have. The details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number five of the ETPHD Mentoring Podcast with myself and Anna. Hi Anna, how are you? Hello, I am... I'm good I'm just sat here I can feel the sweat on my face it's so warm today you look radiant you're like a glowing and you're in your lavender breezy shirt you look like an an English I was going to say an English rose but an English lavender it doesn't really sound the same but you know take it it's a compliment I'll I'll take it thanks (laughs) meanwhile I am hair scraped back sweating in a big black t-shirt not looking like an English lavender. And that's okay. One, because I'm Scottish. Um, but I'm appreciating the sun in Scotland, even if it's cloudy. We take what we can get. And are you not so grateful for all the sun I brought back? Oh, absolutely. Uh, to be fair, it is since you've got back, isn't it? The weather's changed. So the answer can only be you. It always is me. Mm-hmm. Anything good, me. Anything in life, me. It's worse. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's a gift for everyone around me. Okay, let's get on with the questions. Do you want to go first? Yes. Um, what is one thing you wish you knew sooner when starting out your business? Or is there a course that you'd wish you'd done? EIQ Nutrition, obviously. Genuinely, the reason we made it EIQ Nutrition was because it's something that we both would have killed for when we started coaching. I honestly think it's got like years and years of con- of stuff that we learned through business in a four month course, plus graduate scheme, right? So genuinely that's why we made EIQ so I 100% wish that I had that um I wish that I knew how good I was and I don't mean that in an egotistical way I know coming after the off the back of what we've just been talking about it seems like okay maybe it was on one today well I am in my follicular phase so it's probably what it is (laughs) that could be that um but but genuinely I think one of if you're a good coach the biggest thing stopping you from growing your business and, and impacting more people is is your belief in yourself. And I definitely, definitely fell into that of not knowing how good I was for a long time. And I, so that what that means is you take you take things personally. You constantly feel like you need to do more and more and more to finally feel like you know you're comparable to everyone else. You get lost in comparison. You constantly feel like an imposter. You don't put yourself forward for things. You get really nervous and anxious about things that people put you forward for, talks, lives, all of these things. All of these these nerves and feelings of imposter syndrome, et cetera, often come from feeling not good enough. And it does impact how you coach as well. I'm a lot harder on my clients now than I used to be in a compa- fierce, compassionate sense. But when I first started, I would doubt myself more so the way I communicated with clients wouldn't be as strong because I think oh you know I think this or maybe we could do x y and z and, and to some degree as a person-centered coach you are doing these things anyway um but I what uh, I do wonder if things would have been different and I don't want anything to be different but I do think if I believed in myself more uh, or knew how good I was then that's probably what I'd say what's yours yeah definitely definitely can relate to that um I think I would. I definitely wouldn't have done any more courses because I was one of those people that would just be on the hunt because I needed to learn more. And actually, you just need to apply what you know and learn from working with people. 
But what do I wish I knew sooner? I think I was probably naive in, if you want to be successful, how hard you have to work. Because particularly like, when did I, so 2019 was when I started working online with you and I'd never, I'd only been in person and I think it was always that kind of laptop lifestyle and not many people were doing it and it looked really easy breezy. Mm. I was like, yeah, great, let's give it a whirl. Mm. <laughs> but genuinely, I think there's so much you don't consider that you have to do in the background. It's like, oh, okay. And equally just being able to like simplify things and have things automated on MailChimp and Calendly and things like that. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. Wish mm-hmm. I knew, knew that sooner. No, 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 known that sooner. <laughs> yeah. I always remember it start thinking, where's all my time going? Because I'm doing something all the time, but I've got say 20 clients when, you know, when I first started and I've got no time. And I'm like, this because of so much, there's so much to online work in that, especially in this industry well actually all industries that you cannot quantify until you're in it and you realize that you spend a lot of time doing things that you can never that don't feel tangible right and it's Mm. and so when people think consider how much work it is they don't consider often all of that untangible stuff yeah I'm forever grateful because well for many reasons but the flexible being able to be flexible but equally like You'll have to work hard. And if I take a morning off, it'll be made up somewhere. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. How do you get over negative comparison and start believing in yourself? Filter it out if it's not, if it's, yeah, I think I filter it out because if it's not serving you in, in that way, then you're just going to get caught up in one of those spirals. But naturally, I'm going to say, like, journal or at least mull it over in okay well what do I think that like why are they better than me what are they doing that I don't think I'm doing well enough and is that something that you actually want or is it feeling like it's something that you should have or should be doing Mm. I agree I also think reframe it and use it as fuel and I don't think that you know I, I I don't believe in comparison being thief of joy. I don't. I think sometimes comparison can actually be motivating. And it you have to be really self-aware in terms of what it feels like for you. And for a lot of people, it can be demoralizing, but for some, it can be motivating. And something that I have harnessed probably in the last couple of years is noticing whenever I feel triggered by another coach or educator, whatever it may be, and think, why is that triggering me? And how can I use that to my advantage? And an example of that would be recently we've had a spate of a couple of coaches really, you know, ripping us off and, you know, claiming to be the first to do these things. And um, that could really start to be infuriating or it could fuel me to think, okay, well, let's be better. Let's be better. And in the space of, this last couple of months ATPHD has grown and we I've got a clear direction of where we're going and that wasn't necessarily in my head six months ago because I'm like no no don't don't even try it and so I think with comparison it can be like okay well why does this why does this comparison feel quote-unquote negative to me 
is it because they are living their life whilst working but i'm working seven days a week okay well how can i change that or is it because they are you know they seem to be more successful in terms of getting clients okay well one is that truth two what are they showing three if you're really honest with yourself are you showing up every day online are you messaging people having conversations are you thinking outside of the social media box are you doing all of these things that would allow you to get to that point too or are you feeling triggered because you wish that you could do that but you're not for some reason so use it as an opportunity for growth i think is really really helpful um so we've got three questions in one but they're all related okay is it worth investing in sponsoring sponsored posts on instagram are hashtags still used and are they used in stories as well or is it better to use alternative text and what to write sponsored sponsored posts if you know what you're doing can be useful but genuinely i think that they're only probably useful to start using when you have an established brand and and i mean your own brand um obviously um when you are you have kind of sussed out organic growth and and i don't mean organic growth in terms of followers necessarily i just mean organic growth in terms of are you doing all of the the, the basics before you even think about sponsored ads because sponsored ads will only get people to your page usually you can direct them to where you want to go right but if you don't have incredible consistent client results if you don't have an incredibly clear and consistent and congruent message if people don't know who you are through the link that you send them to if you don't have lots of long-form content when you send them to your website then it's a kind of irrelevant and if you don't have a great offer and again great results from that offer and ideally a solid funnel from that ad into your offer once you've done all of that stuff and you've been consistent with all of that stuff and you think okay well I'm I've maybe maxed this out now and for reference I am only considering ads now um I think I've maybe one tried one ad once years and years ago and it flopped because I didn't know what I was doing um but um now is the time I'm like okay but then I'm also filling the books most like of a team right and um and it's very different from trying to get a couple of clients a week or you know whatever your goal is so they they can be useful if you know what you're doing um but i would very much focus on all of the putting more effort into all the organics i say more effort i don't know how much effort you're putting in but you know uh, if, i would imagine there's always more that you can be doing there um which is the annoying part but also the great part you know and um, the great thing about business stuff often is that you if you need to get more clients you can often think of, you can think of new ways to do that and that's amazing that's in within our power and if you struggle with that that's why you have a mentor um one reason why the, mm, hashtags yes I, w- I would really follow simon mitchell i think simon mitchell is really useful for um i think his instagram handles i am simon simon mitchell but he he also just brought out a book actually um which i haven't read yet but and i think it's probably very useful um and that will be good for things like learning about hashtags and stuff but again this in terms of your coaching business it's it's not a huge priority are you having five conversations at least a day are you outreaching to people like are you doing these things 
hashtags is a small part of that. But yes, vary your hashtags, use a couple of hashtags on your post, follow some hashtags, engage before you post, engage after you post um, with those hashtags and people on your page and previous comments on your posts. Like all of that stuff, do all of that stuff. Um, what was the last part of that question? Students, um, is it better or is it better to use alternative text and what to write? I don't think alternative text, as in, I, I don't use that, as in like alt text of an image. Yeah, I think so. I don't use that. Um, and I and I don't think that has a huge impact. No, I would have thought, I think the only people I see that use it, it's, it's not necessarily kind of for business, it's kind of Like obviously, yeah. Do I can't get my words out today. It, like the only times I've seen it is to describe a photo of them, and not to educate or sell or market in any way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. My own journey gets so much traction and can drive conversation and and engagement. But where do you draw the line talking about it? I do like talking about it myself, but it's boring to me. I find this a hard one to answer because I have I think it's never been something that I've openly talked about yeah you don't talk about yourself much but what's incredible about how you do it is that it's not something you would notice you don't notice that you don't share a lot of your own stuff like your own journey and stuff because it's very easy to still see a lot of your personality all or not all of it like the darker side of your personality doesn't (laughs) very often and I wish it did because it's great but you only see that if you listen to podcasts and and you obviously work with you or whatever right um but you can still people still feel like they know you even though you don't share a lot of your journey so I think that's so I think it's nice because you are evidence that you can do that you know, is it? Uh, yeah, is it? It's a weird one because, like I said, I'm I'm ha- more than happy to talk about it. So uh, that's not answering the question in any way, shape, or form. I apologise. But like, <laughs> yes, kind of linking back to what did we say it last time on like um, oversharing? Mm-hmm. And being like, mm, okay, probably talked about this enough, or they might not need to know the ins and outs. But how my journey relates to the work that I can support you with. Mm, yeah I mean look I don't think the line there is a line there's a different line for me you all the ETHD coaches share bits of their stuff or and some of them don't share any of it like but I will what I will say is in terms of mentoring various coaches business owners is that the people who share their own journey to some degree generally do slightly better in terms of um conversations leads signups um all yeah expectations met by clients all of these things because people feel heard and seen when they see a similar story to their own or they see someone has it doesn't just have this picture perfect lifestyle of I see this one person who looks like this and who has a relationship with food like this so they don't get it um I think it's really important that people if you do have 
some level of experience that you share at least a little bit of insight but I don't think the line is the same for everyone um I'd say if you're boring yourself talking about yourself then you're probably talking about yourself too much but I know this person and we're we're working on actually her story is is great and she hasn't shared a lot of it so we're working on bringing that out so for the purpose of this person who's listening to this podcast <laughs> I think you're talking about yourself Don't stop. <laughs> yeah um I, I think you can I think you just always have to think about your if you if someone came onto your Instagram or your website or started reading your emails um or listening to your podcast and they looked at the most recent you know the five things that you did what do they see what do they hear what do they what can they tell about you and if it's all a value in education great but that doesn't tell you them you're a coach so other clients results in there for example or if it's all about you then does it does it help them in any way no does it tell them anything about your coaching no um i think it's all about saying i understand i hear you but i don't think that it's something that you need to talk about all the time and i actually think sometimes sometimes we can center ourselves in the conversation and actually we're coaches and it's not about us again not you person who asked this question <laughs> Uh, really interested to hear your thoughts on the marketing concept of sell them what they want, give them what they need. I get it. And I get that content is not about us. It's for our clients, but it feels unethical to me. I want to meet my audience where they are at, but I don't want to dangle a carrot and not be honest about the work that's required. And it finishes with hope that makes sense. But... <laughs> Right, that it's not unethical. It's unethical if you do it in an unethical way. Sell them what they want, give them what they need is important. We sell often um people to stop binge eating and we don't go into the details of what that looks like because it's a lot of work and it's it's overcomplicated and there's lots of things to talk about. It this works really nicely, this concept with people who are say you're trying to support people's relationship with food. People don't care that you're helping their relationship with food. They often don't know that they have a relationship with food. They don't know that they have dysfunctional eating habits. They know that they struggle with um, food guilt. They know that they struggle with fat loss, all of these things. So what they want is a way to lose body fat. What they want is a way to uh, eat out with their partner and then not overeat when they go home that's what they want you're selling them what they want um, and then you give them what you need which is an incredible coaching program to support their relationship with food that's totally ethical that's speaking to your client and meeting your client where they are or your potential client what is unethical in my opinion which is not in everyone's opinion and we've had this conversation a few times on EIQ is here's a fat loss transformation this is what binge eating recovery looks like that is unethical because we know that you know focusing on fat loss focusing on on our bodies is not the way to support binge eating recovery so it doesn't matter that you're selling them what they want which is fat loss that is unethical but but if someone you've worked with has overcome binge eating and lost 30 kilograms there's no reason why you can't talk about their journey and say you know they've lost 30 kilograms but it doesn't look like anything. There's no picture here. These are the steps that we've done to get to this point. Oh, and by the way, they've lost 30 kilograms. So I think if it gives you the ick and it feels unethical, then look at why that is, because maybe it is unethical. Um, but I know that, you know, some, we're we're not 
it, we're never going to use transformation pictures. But I know some people do and they say, well, you know, it brings clients through the door and transformation pictures will always bring in more people. It's one of the one of the hurdles that a lot of people who come to us to work with us. They want to move away from directly focused on fat loss. It's, it's a hurdle that people often have to cross. They will often bring in more clients, but you have to ask, like, does this impact my current clients? Does this sell a message that is not congruent to what I'm trying to do? And in which case, then you need to weigh up, you know, the pros and cons of that. Okay. How to help a client become more self-compassionate when they don't have a connection with the self at all? So many, so many things, so many things. But I would start by getting them to build awareness of the inner dialogue, the thoughts that they have towards themselves. Because at the moment, it's probably that constant that they don't even know that they're doing it. And obviously, if you start to build awareness, that's when you can start to challenge it. And whether it's reframe, replace, doing some affirmations or affirmations or body gratitude, all of those types of things. But until you know kind of what's actually going on for you and is there something that you're constantly beating yourself up for or are there kind of certain triggers because again it might be you move your mirror in your bedroom so you don't start the day in a bad mood because you've seen your face and you absolutely at the moment dislike how you look Mm. so that would be what I would start with yeah I agree I think awareness is is everything and what's interesting is you said they don't have a connection with themselves at all so great how can you support them developing a connection with themselves journaling um becoming aware of their thoughts um more be more aware of their body body scans uh you spoke recently anna about um proprioception and training um yoga these types of things where they start to become more connected with themselves is really really helpful um interestingly um actually it's probably not appropriate for the podcast so i'm not going to do it Moving on, um, question. Um, how to how to navigate content when working with clients or working supporting clients with relationship with food, but also supporting those working towards fat loss. Look at the entire ATPHD coaching team and how we share things. Um, it's, I suppose this kind of ties into the giving some people what they want and giving them what they need thing. It's hard, right? Because what you're asking is, is it okay to still talk about fat loss? Because I still support fat loss, even though it could be difficult for people who's with their relationship with food. And and the point is, is that you are in the middle ground and it's okay to still talk about fat loss. The key is, how are you talking about fat loss? Are you saying fat loss makes you more, improves your body image? Are you saying fat loss, improving your relationship with food looks like fat loss? Are you saying you'll be happy when you achieve fat loss or are you saying improving your relationship with food can sometimes look like fat loss this person lost this person improved their relationship with food stopped emotionally eating at the weekend started exercising for fun and at the same time lost 20 kilos you know that that's that's absolutely okay you have to be I think it's really helpful here to look at what are my thoughts around dieting do I have negative connotations with dieting and unpacking them for yourself 
But then also, I think, if, if you think, no, I don't have any connotations with dieting. Okay, then what is it? Why do you think fat loss is a, a bad thing? What what Where has that come from? What type of content are you consuming that suggests that it is? Um, I think it's just this, this fear. And I don't know if you see it in the people that you mentor too, this kind of fear of, is it okay to talk about fat loss? Because some of my clients binge eat. And I actually think it can it can be really helpful. The I remember there's a post that I've done a couple of times and every time I post it, it gets a lot of backlash, but a lot of engagement. And it's something like, if you've overcome disordered eating and you are in a larger body than is helpful for you, then the healthiest thing for you might be to diet or something like that. And the amount of backlash I get from it is just wild. Because people often think, well, but but dieting was the worst thing for me, so I should never diet just because because I finally heal my relationship with food. And it's like, okay, for you, Brenda, that might be true, and I and I hold space for that. But ultimately, if you are in a if you're carrying excess body fat, and you're in a good place with your relationship with food, dieting might be the healthiest thing for you, and that is okay. And what you don't want to do is completely disregard dieting as this negative concept if you are focused on people's health disclaimer there may be people in larger bodies who dieting is not healthy for right and that's like that's also fine we have to hold space for that um but i think it's about like unpacking your own your own associations in your head because i do have some some people that i mentor and and have the same thought of of being worried about talking about fat loss Mm. Yeah, most certainly, most certainly. And I think it's just the, there is that misconception that if you're, if you're working with those, supporting them with their relationship with food, then you don't do fat loss. Or, I mean, and I think like we talk about it a lot and maybe that's something to consider as well in talking about kind of, who you would support with fat loss, can it be done simultaneously? And equally those that it wouldn't be suitable for at that moment. Because I know this this coach has come from a transformation fat loss background and is wasn't feeling 100% aligned with that, but it's not to say you can't support people with a healthy relationship with food or the that space where you can do both I think getting confident in just talking about it more yeah and also let yourself be wrong honestly I've put out I've put out a transformation picture before not many but I've definitely done it um and I've said the wrong thing about intuitive eating before I've said you know I've said I've, I've not recognized my own thin privilege many times before like well, you know, nobody remembers it. Well, some people do actually. That's a lie. But on the whole, like clients remember it. So, like, let yourself if you if you say something wrong, you say something wrong. It's not like it's not the end of the world. Um. Okay. In terms of research, I tend to seek out the meta analysis and systematic reviews and see the introduction, abstract, and conclusion. Do you have any helpful tips for how to a not get consumed by hours of it and b second part of this question is not there which is concerning to me 
don't think that was me. Anyway, do you have any helpful tips on a, how not to get consumed by hours of it? I, funnily enough, don't because research is one of those things that I feel quite overwhelmed. I'll look and be like, oh, that's a lot there. So I'll try and um, just get what I need to out of it. Yeah, I think, look, it, it depends on where you're at. And this person's on EIQ, so she's got a good grasp on, you know, introduction to research and, and understanding that meta-analysis and systematic reviews are great, etc. Often, not always. Um, I honestly think the key is not giving yourself hours to be consumed by it or actively giving yourself hours to be consumed by it. What I mean by that is... Um, maybe you have a morning where you don't have calls and that's your time to do some research and and you want to get consumed in it because you're interested in it that's totally fine um but maybe you're looking at it just to see like can I get any inspiration for what I want to talk about or any changes like is there anything that is there anything that I want to add into my coaching process etc etc don't give yourself time to get lost in it give yourself half an hour to do a post and that's that's your time and if actually you find yourself getting lost in it, then you bank it and you come back to it at a time where you have more time to do these things. Um, because for sure you can get lost in it and then you come out of it and you think, oh, that stuff I thought was relevant actually wasn't relevant at all. And I've just, but but that's but that's also okay. Like if you're interested in it, it's okay for it not to be useful for content and actually it's just interesting to you. That's totally fine. Um, you get better at it the longer you do it um I think that's I think that's that's the most help I can give in terms of not getting consumed by it so practice more <laughs> practice more and limit your time just like anything else if something's taking you too long limit your time with it or set aside time for it where it's actively research time research day I've not had one of them in ages but I love those days it's been a long time um I think the last time I did that was when you sent me through was it research mm. I want to say it was bodybuilding wasn't it and I was like I have to save this because I want to I'm going to fall down many rabbit holes <laughs> yeah if you bodybuilding stuff you do fall down rabbit holes all of it all of it you do really um okay um any advice for encouraging clients to open up more slash build emotional awareness I feel like they're very different things journaling i think if you struggle with this a couple of things do eiq nutrition and think about your own what helped you build emotional awareness what helped you build self-awareness um what tools have you used in the past i think it's funny right with the etphd method and all of the resources and stuff we have they came from initially a large proportion of that came from me finding things in research or um me finding things in research or me finding like doing things for myself or find, reading them in books etc etc um nowadays i think a lot of people find ideas for what they want to do from other people that already do it and they're very very distinctive things um so oh, so look at yourself sorry that was very unprofessional. Um, it was one time I have my don't have my phone on do not disturb because I was waiting for an important call. The one time I actually get a real life phone call. Great. Sorry. Um, look at like your own tools first of all. So rather than looking to the outside, look at your own tools first of all, and then and and I think a lot of this is also 
your coaching process. A large proportion of our check-ins and responses are actually just open questions, motivational interviewing type questions. Read up a motivational interview and look at look at self-determination theory, look at examples. There's a great book called Motivational Interviewing for Nutrition Professionals, I think it's called. And that talks a lot about um, how you can get more from your clients in check-ins and conversations. So have a look at that side of things. Um, and it really is about how you frame questions, how you hold your calls, even things like body language. Are you sitting on Zoom calls and with your arms crossed and speaking over them and listening to respond rather than listening to hear? There's so much to it. It's not just go away and journal. Mm. Yeah, I think... I think when it the only thing I would add when it comes to the questions, I'd make sure that they are open questions and not leading questions. Because I think that's something that I do see people fall into, particularly if you are working with a certain type of client. Well, this is what's worked before, but maybe you don't know kind of what's going on. So you start kind of leading them one way and then something crops up and it's like, oh, okay, let's let's take a step back and, and dig a little bit deeper here. Yeah, I agree. And I think making sure that you cover the bases in terms of that you're showing up compassionately and you're making space for people and you're creating the opportunity for them to open up. Um, also, reflecting back to them what they're saying to you so that they can almost hear what they're saying to you sometimes when they're like you know writing things down in their check-in or saying things to you they're not necessarily taking it back in for themselves so um in this like say Anna and I are chatting right now and she's just said something me sort of saying okay so just to get this just just to clarify this you said x y and z and then just leaving space for people to go yeah and then expand on that and then allow them to get a little bit deeper um again doing a basic counseling course can be helpful for this but i think motivational interviewing at least reading up on that will be really really helpful for you and and looking at the whole idea is that it's like a partnership and that you create compassion and acceptance and this kind of reflective process okay with reels what are your thoughts on calls to action to longer form content i.e i have recorded a reel and then that then ends with me saying listen to this podcast sounds good to me <laughs> like, yeah. like you just I think you're directing people to all different ways of engaging with you which is never a bad thing I agree I think calls to action are the most one of the most basic things that most people are not doing why do you really think that you again not this person but do you really think you're someone's going to buy from you from an, one instagram post that's not what happens and um, they buy from you after seeing tons of content reading listening um having conversations with you and nobody knows that things exist unless you tell them they don't know that your coaching exists unless you tell them all the time they don't know that you have a podcast unless you tell them that you have a podcast they don't know that you have articles on your website unless you tell them so every reel should have a very clear call to action if like a lot of people so there's a there's a marketing do i want to call it marketing there's like a kind of social growth 
um, a couple of companies at the moment focus on social growth and there was a phase at the beginning of this year where everyone was doing like a reel and they'd say this one thing is holding you back from from your fat loss before I go any further make sure to save this post follow me and whatever else and then they go on with the reel every single time I saw that I scrolled on thought the apparent you know I heard the story about it and someone was saying you know this this company says this is how they grew their following hugely I thought who the, who the hell's got the patience to watch to wait for someone to say follow me before you do this I don't I don't personally I have not seen any success personally or with any person that I mentor for having a call to action uh, you know before you give the content but you can try it try it see what your insights are like see what your engagement is like see what your following changes see you know whatever call your call to action is test it out and see but you should have it at the end of your reel most of the time and you should also have it in the caption don't just have it in the caption don't write a big long caption and at the end be like coaching new thompson phd that, that's that's nothing people will just completely scroll over that if you want someone to save something see save this post if you want them to go to listen to your podcast say it in the reel say it at the end um at the end of the caption have it everywhere and vary your calls to action all the time too so people are actually paying attention to them um how to know if your niche is too niche oh. i've seen a lot recently of people saying that you're limiting yourself if you have a niche I mean, if your niche is like, I work with Scottish, 21-year-old women, um, born in September, Virgos, and they have to have blonde hair, then you're probably limiting yourself. Your, your niche is probably not too niche, to be quite honest. Honestly, look at, I think, use the feedback. So don't have a niche as a specific type of person. Have a niche of a problem that you're solving. You are solving a problem. You will have never seen ETPHD say, I work with women aged between 30 and 65. We don't say any of that because we solve a problem and how that shows up. It's often in similar age ranges and often similar genders, but not we work with we work with all genders and all ages. Um, but you look at the people that you're speaking to look at the people that say i relate so much to this content if you're getting a lot of feedback it's like this is me i relate to this so much thank you so much for this post this really helped me a lot then your niche is probably not too specific because you are starting to speak to people and you've got your niche down and use that to then drive further content but if nobody is relating to what you're saying and you're not getting that type of feedback then it probably is that you're too niche but realistically i suppose if you're looking at problems that you're solving Unless, again, the problem is I solve binge eating for Virgos, but then you're going back into the person again. So I think if you focus on, if you really focus on your niche being what is the problem I solve as opposed to who is the person I help, that that, that will help you overcome that problem. Mm, I think it's, I think it's something that you, you might have like a, a comfort zone that you might be kind of like saying is 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 your niche but like you say as soon as you start thinking well this is the problem that I support people with and start building confidence in that then I think you 
the niche becomes not irrelevant but you're like okay well maybe it's not as small as I thought it would be maybe I can work with people that are older younger different gender Mm. what I'd also say too is like just because you have a niche doesn't mean that's the only thing you can talk about what I mean by that is I will talk about dating I'll talk about feminism I will talk about I don't know travel etc because one it's me and I love all these things but a lot of these things are intertwined and for example being a feminist is more supportive of a positive body image so that's really important to talk about um disordered eating is associated with insecure attachment styles so these people often who have disordered eating habits are going to relate to insecure attachment posts too I don't just talk about binging because one that's not the only type of client that we work with in terms of problem it's not the only problem that we solve but I don't just talk about binging HA and disordered eating there's other things threads to it so again thinking about your niche in terms of yes the problem you solve but it's not just that one specific thing that you're talking about all the time although a lot of it's repeating the same thing in a different way when considering business time off do you have any of your tips to not have a sneaky look at client messages slash be able to turn off i find i'm always thinking about content on what to post next then scrolling the ram which is still my business platform and i know you'll say boundaries but anything to put in with myself so i just thinking back to when i went away I mean, there was one exception where I was stuck on a ferry for a very long time and did have a sneaky look on WhatsApp. And that was that. That was it. <laughs> but I had a few posts ready to go. Um, not scheduled, but I was quite happy just to to pop on. And I quite like actually using social media for social media and seeing what my friends are up to. Um, but equally, it was quite nice just to... I don't think there's necessarily something wrong with that's an idea for content. Like there are a few times that I did that when I was away, but it was a, right, I'll do that post and then that'd be that. And I like ignoring everything, <laughs> everything that you should be doing by, like you said, engaging before and engaging after, like, just get it out and get it done and go back to enjoying your time away or just schedule all your content and don't worry about it. Maybe make a note of some ideas that you had and you can do that when you get back, but you're defeating the object of your holiday and your break. And it's great that creativity is going, but just park it and then come back to it feeling refreshed. I agree. I think I'm the same. I, I think um, if you have a really good idea for content and it's flowing out of you and it'll take five, 10 minutes, just do it. If you want to do it, do it. Don't demonize it and say, well, I've ruined my one day fully off because I've done my 10 minute post. You're allowed to find joy in creativity and if you feel creative you're allowed to do that but you're like you said being mindful of getting lost in it and and thinking that you have to get a number of likes turn your likes off and then just leave it and then crack on about your day I agree um I also think it's helpful and and you know I've had conversations with some people ETPC coaches and other people that I mentor about this of you only have to check your emails once to get a bad email when you're on holiday to never want to do it again um and that's true and I and I often think like when I'm on holiday and it and realistically realistically there's probably a maximum of two weeks a year 
maximum of two weeks a year where I'm not checking these things and I'll still probably post on social media right um so one keep perspective of that you're it's not like you're taking off months at a time you're probably taking off a week or two weeks in a year like that's nothing um but also I think to myself what if there's something awful in this whatsapp and I've just ruined my entire day of my holiday because you know my entire business has crumbled I'd rather enjoy my holiday and deal with it when I get back because it's going to make no difference because they know I'm on holiday wood all the wood um like so sometimes I think thinking of like okay what's the worst case scenario here I'm going to see something that I don't want to see how is that going to impact the rest of my day okay well my values involve rest uh relationships connection fun joy checking that will be well could potentially completely knock me out of my out of alignment with my values is that something I want to do absolutely not so I think what will my future self thank me for super super important and if that requires you keep doing this until you get a really mean email from someone then so be it because once you've been burned you don't want to get burned again I think with that in mind like practicing well practicing but having I don't know this person obviously but whether it's a day where you purposely don't go on social media, don't check emails and get used to that so that you go away and it's like, oh, it's only a few more days. I already know that I can do this. It's okay. Mm. What's the worst that can happen from not posting for a few days or not being on there for a few days? Really? Now and again. Now and again. Everyone, now and again. Okay, uh, Anna, question. I'm out of questions. Oh, Okay. How to manage your business when you are going through personal issues, for example, relationship issues or illness? None of us can relate to any of these things. No, no, definitely, definitely not. I I think there has to be that self-compassion in this is a really difficult time, whatever it is that you're going through. And I, w- I would say, yeah, I think doing the essential, the bare minimum that you need to do for a little bit, that's absolutely fine. And obviously if it's ongoing, then it might be, right, I need to ask someone for some support with some stuff or I need to speak to some clients and see if I can rejuggle some things. But a few days, a week of say take it easy no like bare minimum stuff just doing what you need to do and whether that's also prioritizing prioritizing rest and recovery or going out and speaking with friends for some emotional rest absolutely fine and here she comes in the big doom and gloom (laughs) first of all I would say yeah and I and I've probably said this on the podcast before but you know my mom taught me the idea many years ago of proactive versus reactive work and it's really important as a business owner that you can allow yourself sometimes to do reactive work and what I mean by that is showing up for your clients 100% and letting some of the proactive stuff go for that short space of time because other things are taking over and you've got a lot of things going on really important to be able to do that and to, to be able to do that without guilt and recognize that you being reactive means that you're showing up for your clients 100% they are your number one priority or you know if it's not clients whatever your day-to-day um requirements are for you to run your business that you are doing those in a proactive in a, in a kind of 
doing getting those things done but the additional proactive stuff is okay to to drop um sometimes and that might be posted on social media or something like that sometimes so one recognize that the thing is <laughs> i'm waiting for I'm racing myself <laughs> everyone has personal challenges right and everyone has different levels of resilience and there's nothing wrong with you know variations in resilience and framing etc etc but what can be a personal challenge so what could be a personal challenge to you anna for example getting a cold which is not a personal challenge but say it was right may not even cross my mind as being a personal challenge right and it's like well i, I don't i've got cold but i can still do all the stuff right there is an element as a business owner of ultimately to some degree you cannot let your personal stuff impact your business for a prolonged period of time prolonged period i had a conversation with ross the other day and she she's obviously she moved to australia and she's got something she's got the face things going on right and she said um you made me think about you because i think you know things that i've got going on at the moment and she's like i don't really know how you juggle all these things and this is not me saying like I've got, I've mastered this. I'm constantly feeling like I'm not mastering anything at the moment. And that's also fine. Being okay with not being 100% is also a really, really important thing. And recognizing that you might feel rubbish, but you've got to do it anyway is really, really important. Honestly, if you want to be successful, this is an awful thing to come out of my mouth, probably. You have to sometimes fight through the stuff that you've got going on and channel that energy into showing up for yourself and your business because do you know what's going to make your personal situation worse your business not succeeding that's going to make everything worse it's not going to make it better and you know your creativity might be stifled reuse old posts you might need some additional help reach out to your mentor and you know various times including me I've asked you guys for help multiple times and you guys might have asked me for help multiple times and it does if you're not a part of it, like it's, that's one of the benefits of being part of a team. But if you don't have a team, can you ask your partner for support or a friend for support or your mentor for support? Asking for help is super, super, super important. But the more I work with, you know, I've worked with many, many, many coaches now and and there's no wrong way of doing things. But again, when you're looking at people who tend to be successful in business, they have an ability to hold space for that and you know create the space and the time to recognize what's going on and to sit with that and feel it but also compartmentalize that and focus on you know the energy that they do have focusing that into their work as well knowing that that will help them you know continue to move through this difficult time um so and I mean look I did a was it with you no I had a alive the day that we found out that my little brother had cancer and that's not a secret and I and I remember being like should I cancel this and and being like you know do you want to do this and I was like I'll just do it because there's nothing I, I can still show up and use my brain and do all of these things and sometimes that will be easy and sometimes it will not be easy so I think sure all the things be compassionate with yourself sometimes be reactive and not do all of that proactive stuff for short periods of time but then practice that fierce compassion and rec- find the joy we, we coach because or we own our own businesses because we love it because we we it 
makes us feel whole it gives us purpose it gives us joy so let's not let let's not lose that joy and that creative outlet for ourselves and amongst all of the other stuff it's an opportunity to find joy and purpose and and um I suppose feelings like achievement etc it's an opportunity in what can sometimes be really dark clouds um to to get a source of that um whilst of course making space for of course life is hard sometimes no yeah yeah, absolutely absolutely it is I mean that's self-compassion though isn't it in in finding that balance and I think for me shockingly I've always been quite happy to just push through like if I've got a cold and I found the live the other day that I did a couple of years ago when I lost my voice I felt absolutely fine in myself and I was like but to be fair it got great engagement (laughs) because everyone was like oh my god you sound horrific I was like I thought I sounded like Phoebe's sexy voice but okay (laughs) yeah and 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 yeah there's obviously it's yeah there's obviously like a limit you are someone that definitely does push through I know that and I and I don't think that that's always helpful for you <laughs> that's for another day no, but well the, I mean this is the thing that I am needing to find that balance right now and knowing that I can't push through mm-hmm. so for me it's being more boundaried and listening to my body when she's tired and I need to just be like yeah and it, one of the best things I did with work was identify okay, well, what can actually wait? Like, what needs doing today? And what am I just telling myself needs doing, but isn't actually that urgent? So much that, so much that. I think calling yourself out on that. And look, like that wasn't a criticism, by the way. I think like (laughs) I do the same thing and I'm still trying to find it for myself of like, where do I, like, you know, am I pushing through here? And let's not forget, especially for fitness coaches, often working as a coping mechanism, and sometimes that can be helpful. We demonize all of these quote unquote dysfunctional, you know, tools to help us regulate ourselves. And for sure, overworking is is a sign that maybe we're dysregulated in some way and we need to look at that. But it can also be an okay coping strategy in the short term sometimes to just throw yourself into work if that helps you cope for it. For the short term, again, provided you're aware of what you're doing and you are creating space for some of the harder stuff. Yeah. Balance is a hard one to <laughs> to find, isn't yeah. it? And to apparently a hard one to explain because it's just taking us <laughs> ten minutes to be like, sometimes work and sometimes don't. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> you get the idea. Okay, thanks everyone. Great questions. Thanks, Anna, so much. Thank you.